0: Another edition of the Behind the You podcast. Bryant McKinney will be our guest. We'll get to him in just a second. But first, let me tell you, you can change the course of your career or find your new passion. Both are possible at the University of Miami's Division of Continuing and International Education. The division offers over 50 courses with online and hybrid options for on-the-go professionals and busy parents. Visit Miami.edu DCIE to learn more or call our enrollment advisors at 305-284-4000 to discover... Which course is right for you? Brian McKinney is our guest. Brian, thanks for doing this, buddy. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So can we just get one thing straight, just to start? Mm-hmm. Your official weight and your height when you were at the University of Miami? Six eight was my high, six eight
1: and three quarters. Uh, three forty-three was my senior year. My junior year was like three thirty-five. So six eight and three quarters. Yeah. So when was the big growth spurt? Um, I came back for 10th grade. I was about six four, maybe six five, somewhere around there. Like in eighth grade, I was five ten. <laughs> Ninth grade I might have been six one or something like that. But when I came back from tenth grade, like everybody noticed how tall I got. I didn't really notice it, but everybody else was like, Hey, you got tall. And I was going through growing pains. So you really have those too. So your knees are very sensitive. You're always hungry.
0: just growing extremely fast. So were you always playing football?
1: No. I wrestled at first, and then I played basketball, then football came. I gotcha. Did you play basketball your whole way through? Uh, majority of my way. I started off wrestling, and then I think when I got in, like, fourth grade
0: is when I started playing basketball. I gotcha. But did you play through your senior year of high school?
1: Oh, no. Because uh, I stopped, like, in my junior year, because one year we had a game. The very next day was tryouts for basketball, and I was like... And the coach was like, well, you have to try out. I'm <laughs> like, you have to still try out, even though I knew you could play. And I was like sore and i just didn't feel like going so i was like i can miss the season or whatever and i, I missed it and then i was just like really like into football a lot more at the time I just kind of like still with football
0: i assume you participated in track but i assume those were in like the, the throwing of it. i don't think you were running if you look up you see i did the 400 the <laughs> but in high school i was only like two what 245
1: 245
0: okay and so I didn't know this, so I started broadcasting you just about the time you started, so in a, in a much smaller role than what I do now, doing sidelines, doing this podcast. Obviously, I knew what you did when you were there, offensive line coming in, juke at the whole thing. What I didn't know is you didn't play offensive line in high school, correct? Correct.
1: I was a defensive end, so that's all I knew. My favorite player was Reggie White. I grew up in South Jersey, so I was an Eagles fan growing up. So, like, Jerome, Brown, Reggie White, all those guys were, like, my favorite linemen. I didn't know no offensive linemen at the time, so I like to be able to, you know, like sack the quarterback or like make, you know, plays that way. I came from a small school, so like we didn't get a lot of recruiting and stuff, especially in that time period the, the internet wasn't big yet. Somebody mailed in a videotape, a random person who I still don't know to this day, mailed in a videotape of the running back who was a junior behind me, and he was really good. He was like one of the top in the state. They mailed into the University of Iowa. They watched the tape, but then they also see me on the tape. I am like, well, who is this? You know, so they came to the school about him, but then they also acquired about me. It was after the National Signing Day. So they didn't have any more scholarships. So what he said was they had a relationship with Lackawanna Junior College, which was in Scranton, Pennsylvania, which was two and a half hours away from where I live, two and a half hours driving. And it was like, we could send you there. And then I want you to learn how to play offensive line. I was kind of like, Well, <laughs> I how play offensive line. I don't even know any offensive line I like to look at. Like, you know what I'm saying? I've just never watched. And he was like, yeah, he said, you know, you're tall. I feel like you just last a lot longer playing that position. I agree for the sake of, you know, you get further education and go to school, you know, on a scholarship. And when I got there, I tried to convince the um, head coach to, like, to keep me on D-line. But I guess he had an obligation to do, too. Like, his job would convert me to offensive line. And when I got there, I was going against this guy who was a JUCO All-American. He was coming into his second season. And that's why I had to practice against every day. As I'm trying to learn a left-handed stance, I'm not left-handed. So I had to get used to doing everything from a left-handed position against a guy who's All-American. So I got my belt run a couple times, you know, in camp and, you know, just leading up to, like, the season. But it made me better because he was going to be one of the best guys that I've seen, you know what I'm saying, throughout my season at the Juco. So what makes better, you know, it makes me better by going against him every day,
0: you know, trying to figure him out. And then that's what I did, figure him out. And then he could never get past again. So you said six eight, three and a quarters at an UM. So by the time you got to JUCO, had you gone from six five to six eight, or you sprouted again at JUCO?
1: I think I might have been like six seven. I might have
0: first got there at six seven.
1: I was only seventeen when I first got there. I turned eighteen that that September. And I know my shoe size stopped then too. So like when I turned eighteen, that's when my foot that's what that's the size I wear. Which is what? My shoe size were my age every year. Oh, okay. So um they were telling me they said, Yeah, your feet stop growing first, then you'll stop. So I probably was, like, six seven. I turned 18. My shoes stopped at 18, and I probably just grew a little bit, you know, after
0: that, and then that was it. So, coming out of high school, other than Iowa, no one no one really recruited you? No one really
1: knew of my school like that. No, like, in the 80s was the last time, it was the 80s or, you know, around 89 or something, the last time somebody went to a big D1 school. Like, everyone else was going to, like, you know, smaller D2 schools and things like that. We didn't have, like, a lot of publicity or anything. The year before me, though, Ron Dane, he did go to Wisconsin. He
0: played at your high school? He play- No, he played in my area. Got it.
1: But he was at a bigger school, but he played in my area but at a much bigger school. Mine was like a group one school. His was like group four. So he did get some recognition. And then, um no, we just didn't get it. We just didn't have it at the time.
0: The only reason why you went to Lackawanna is because the Iowa coach
1: said you should go? Yeah, because I don't, I don't know if I intended to just keep going. I don't know if that was in my plan. Like You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Without him, you don't end up there. No, not at all. I knew nothing about Lackawanna, so I definitely wasn't going to end up there. And some of my other friends was going, you know, going to two year schools and everything, but that was it.
0: So you're going up against this guy in Juco who's pretty good, and that's how you're trying to you're trying to learn a new position, play offensive line, be physical, grow, get stronger. And you're going up against this guy. And when did you finally think like, yeah, I can do this?
1: Finally, one day it's like the light bulb went off
0: with a, a guy named Big Kev too. He
1: was like a 300 pound guy. Big Kid was a D-Taggit, I was like 300 pounds, but he came out on the edge sometimes. And then Nate, his name, they called him Cowboy. His name was Nate. He was like 265 or something like that. I told you I was only 245. And then I still had to lift weights. I didn't really lift weights in high school. So a lot of things was just from natural strength. I had to just learn. I mean, giving up wasn't an option because I remember when I went out for football, my grandma was so used to me playing basketball. She was like, oh, you're not going to like it, you know. You're going to probably quit this and the other, like, stick with basketball. And then when I ended up playing and then I ended up getting a chance to go to Lackawanna, I was like, oh, remember you said I wasn't going to, like, like it? And now, like, I've got an opportunity to go to another school. I don't know, just one day it just clicked, and then it just, from there, it was just, like, they couldn't get past me. I remember the first time when I really blocked him good, and then, like, he, like, wanted to start a fight. I was like, you've been kicking my behind on this football field all this time, but now I finally block you, you're getting frustrated and mad. Football, your sport, and I fighting it was my sport now. I don't think you want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he got used to it and after a while it was just it just became a thing. And I ended up becoming a Juco all American after my first year. And what's funny is by the timing that um Hayden Fry was the head coach at the time and he retired after my first season. So now my whole letter of intent kind of went out the window
0: because that whole staff is gone. So you're a JUCO All-American. So did your recruiting take off after that? Did you have more schools inquiring about you in, t- in your second year? Uh, going into that summer yeah, because they
1: couldn't talk to me at all because I was already committed to somewhere else. So now the new staff came that came in you know, Iowa, they tried to reach back out and say they were still interested. But now I had the opportunity to get letters from some of the other schools that I'm right, like, well, let me see who all is out here. You know
0: what I'm saying? Before, <laughs> that
1: wasn't a thing. And Coach Keo actually came to the school. So I remember everybody saying – you remember, I just hear the chatter – the player's like, oh, Miami's here. Like, you, my, you know, you of Miami here. I don't know who they're here for. I, you know what I'm saying? My head coach, he worked at the school as well. He um pulled me out of class and brought me down to his office. And he had told me that it was a coach from Miami. He was here who wanted to see me, who watched my film. And Coach Keough is from that area. He's from the Pennsylvania area. So I guess that was his area. And I met him. He was very high energy when I met him in his office and everything. You know, we talked and we set up like a visit and things like that. And I took a couple of visits when I was at Lackawanna to other schools. Where else did you go? I went to Rutgers, just because I guess I was from Jersey. Syracuse, I went to Arkansas, I went to Miami. I took four visits. And for some reason, I had a great time at Arkansas. When I came to Miami, I kind of got sick because the weather changed, one, and then the lack of sleep because they keep you out till like five thirty, six o'clock in the morning, and then you have to be up at 9 o'clock, walk across campus again. So I barely got any sleep. So I wasn't, I the second day, I was like, out of it. Then they wanted me to go back out again. I'm like, no. And so it was like...
0: So who, who kept you out all night? Ed Wilkins. Ed Wilkins. He was a Jersey guy.
1: He kept me out. And we had fun, but it was just I wasn't getting rest. Like, where they would go home and go to sleep, I still had to be back up the next morning and sit walking around campus and going to all these meetings where they probably were sleeping in. You know what I'm saying? So I was just, like, over it. Like, and now I had to do all this. Then we had to go to dinner tonight. So I was ready to go to bed, you know, the evening and not be back out
0: until 5 o'clock in the morning.
1: You know, coming from up north, everything closed
0: at 2. You left your recruiting trip, and you were decided or undecided. I was undecided.
1: I still hadn't been to Arkansas yet. And what's funny is the time when I took that trip to Arkansas, I remember the person who hosted me. I can't remember his name, but he ended up playing for the Detroit Lions. He was older than me, of course, but we've seen each other on the field once we both got in the league, and, and I, you know, briefly talked about. Remember him being my host, but I remember being at his place, and they had on the Miami versus uh, UCLA game. And I'm like, what's the odds? Is that the game where Andrew and James went wild? Yeah. And then th- those guys were watching it. And I'm like, what's the odds of me sitting here watching this game with these guys? Like, You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I was just there a couple of weeks ago. It was a very big game. And then um, I'm here watching the University of Miami from Arkansas. I kind of looked at it as a sign there a little bit, too. So what we'll finally sealed the deal for you? My parents? Yeah? Yeah, because you had – my offensive coordinator went to Arkansas, so he was really kept pushing in my ear like, Ark- so, Arkansas, Arkansas. Houston Nutt was the head coach at the time. He was just pushing it, and I was kind of going with it because I had a good time when I went on my business. I mean, every time I would mention it, my mom was like, are you crazy? Like, And she started naming like the people who went to Miami, and then she started talking about like, the graduation rate and just different things. And she was like, why are you thinking about Arkansas? Like, and then she was making sense, too, and then I just ended up just picking Miami like, okay, let me just try this.
0: So you came in in 99, right? So the program was kind of coming back. I also did not realize you redshirted your first year. So looking back on it, how beneficial was that?
1: It was really beneficial. Um, I didn't want to because you asked me to compete, and I came in and I competed, and I, I and I was rotating with the number one per, you know, the number one. However, they were somebody who had been there through the whole um, probation and everything like that, and they were a senior, and they were like, so now it's like convincing me to redshirt, give me more time to learn the, the plays in the system. And I'll make me even better player by giving me an extra year. I remember Butch Davis sitting me in his room. And I believe he might have called my, everybody was always calling my mom, I think he might have called her and tried to talk her and talking to me, you know, to doing it. And I eventually just did it. So, I, me, like Bernie Carey and a couple of those guys that came in with, we all red it. How much weight you put on? That's when I really put on weight because when I first got to Miami, you remember I'm tall. So it, didn't, it doesn't look like I'm, I'm heavy, but I, I am, but I'm tall too. Um, when I first got to Miami, I probably was like 310, maybe, somewhere around there. So I know by the time my junior came, you know, the lifting program and everything, I know I came right around 330, 335. The end of my junior year, when I was at Pro Time Day, I remember me being 335. And I, and I remember out there watching the guys do their stuff for Pro Time Day. And I just remember Scott telling me that I need to fill out more and that I need to gain some weight. Now I'm three thirty-five. Like you know what I'm saying, but he didn't know how old I was. <laughs> I'm thinking that to myself, but even when I look back at me then, I wasn't really filled out. Like you know what I mean? I was that heavy, but I just yeah, it looked like I still needed to fill out, even though I was heavy.
0: <laughs> so when you first got to my, you come from Lackawanna, small town in Jersey. Not a lot of guys recruited. D one ball is not a big thing. You probably think you're going to Iowa. The program's starting to turn the corner. Some big-time dudes that are in there that are helping making this happen. Did you feel like you fit in, or were you kind of like, oh, crap? Is, is this, was this the right choice, I guess?
1: I wasn't worried about that because I came from somewhere where I felt like by the time I got to Miami, people were, were pampered a lot more. I came from a junior college. We didn't have all the training staff. We didn't have all the equipment. I was told, at the JUCO, you can't make the club in the tub. So certain things was embedded in my mind. That come is this. That's totally different product from a lot of those guys. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I I personally feel like I had a tougher mindset going there because I'm there with less things. Like I don't have access to a, a chiropractor. I don't have access to all these things. And so staying out of the training room was always my big thing. I never missed a game due to injury in my entire life. That stems from my me going to junior college. You know what I'm saying? And having that tough mindset. I'd have had broken hands. I'd have had food poisoning, everything. But I played through those things. I later on found out I played with a broken ankle too, and which was weird because I was misdiagnosed. So a lot of those things stem from junior college. And then I remember me looking and seeing you had a Joaquin Gonzalez who was like in your top 20 tackles, you know what I'm saying? So now I'm coming in like, okay, he's in your top 20. I need to get in the top 20 as well because at this point, me coming in, I'm the weakest link. Those guys have been there. They've had chemistry. I'm coming in. In Juco, they had me like that. Out of tackles overall, I made the top 100, and I was probably like in the 90s, like you know what I'm saying, in the 90s. But you had Joaquina's way down in the 20s, so giving me the opportunity, I said I'm going to go in here and I'm I'm making the top 20. You know what I'm saying? That was just my mindset. So I went in there with a different mindset of ready to compete and believing that I was able to to match up and you know <laughs> battle with these guys. So I just had a totally different mindset that probably a lot of the people don't have anymore. But I had a plan before I walked in there.
0: And the plan was to get to the NFL. The plan was to be the best. The plan was to be- get up
1: that chart, get up that depth chart for one. And then two, move down on the chart at my position and tackles and things like that. So those were my real plans. The NFL, I, I didn't think about until like later into my junior year when I actually was playing. Because where I, now where I came from originally, guys weren't going to the NFL. You know what I'm saying? Somebody from my high school went in the 80s. Like, that wasn't a thing. This is just me just personally had my own personal goals and being you know competitive so then me doing that led to other things but that wasn't my ultimate thing it's like oh i'm gonna go ahead and go to the nfl no it was i'm gonna go here and i'm gonna compete
0: offensive linemen are a unique bunch bryant so how how was that group how was that room did they accept you what was the relation the dynamic when you first got there well you had me and brandon Carey, who were the two biggest guys we were
1: bigger than everybody else so it was like yeah
0: (laughs) don't mess with us
1: i remember ed because ed was my host uh, when I came in town, he was from Jersey. Um, Jamal Green and my family knew each other because he's in the same part of Jersey I'm from. His family was too. So when I was going down there, they had kind of linked us already. A lot of the Jersey guys kind of stayed together, like Howard Clark and stuff like that. But when I got in the line room, me and Vernon were both the same, you know, we came in the same class. So it was kind of like, yeah, you're going to have to, I mean, yeah, you're going to accept us. And then when you got out there, I feel like the way we competed,
0: I feel like it, they could see, like, oh, these guys are going to be pretty good. Who were some of the defensive ends you went up against in practice?
1: Um, you had, like, Quincy Hibbs. You had Jamal Green. You had later on Jerome McDougal. But when I first got there, it was more like Quincy Hibbs, Jamal Green, and um,
0: Barrow was his last name. I forget his uh, yeah, name. Yeah, he played with the Vikings. I think he got drafted by the he Vikings. He did, but he was going by
1: the time I got there.
0: I got gotcha. you. So, I guess that was 99-year redshirt. So, 2000, are you fighting to be the starting left tackle, or they pretty much said that you were going to be it, or you had to fight? I mean, I had to still
1: compete, but it was like – the main person who, you know, they made me kind of register for was gone. So it was just like, I didn't see nobody else who would really like, I was there to compete. My plan was to win the position. So I didn't really care who was there because I felt like I won it the year before. So why can't I win it again this year when I, now I know the plays even more and things like that.
0: I got you. The the word compete comes up a whole bunch on this podcast, Brian, all the former players, whether it's eighties, nineties, 2000s so you were ready to compete you felt like you had to compete it was your mindset so then I guess from hearing you say that I imagine you fit in then right how competitive was it it was
1: pretty competitive but I felt like I needed to prove myself too because I came from a juco so I felt like I got to prove myself too like I you know all these guys been here and they're used to being here and and there was little things you know we had hazing and stuff back then and um where they made me wrestle uh William Joseph in the locker room and then I guess Coach Davis caught wind of it, and then they made us do like a little Oklahoma drill, and I, and I beat him both times. So, and I just feel like all that was a, a form of me competing and, and showing that I'm here to compete, and I don't care who been here, I, I'm going to let you know I ain't somebody that you want to play with. So, I just every time it was a, t- a chance for me to compete, I had to keep making a name for myself. Did you room with Shocky? Yeah, my senior year, we were roommates off campus. That must have been wild. It, it was, it was. Me and him were always cool. You know, he's a tight end too. So we, you know, we lined up next to each other some time, had the um double, you know, double team or somebody or something on the way out. And we just were really cool. And he was also another Juco transfer too. So he also knew, you know, what it was like as well. You know what I'm saying? So we kind of, I guess, bonded on that,
0: on that note too. I was thinking more off the field than on the field, the two of you. Oh yeah, that too. I would imagine there were some more 530 nights.
1: It was, but you know what's funny is I had more of those nights with like someone like Ed Reed. Ed Reed was a person who like always like, let's
0: go out, let's hang out. So Ed
1: was that kind of cat? We was in school, yeah. And, like he knew when we could and when we couldn't, but yeah, he definitely
0: was. I gotcha. I gotcha. What was Ken Dorsey like? Ken was always a student.
1: Ken was always in a room like studying, going over plays. Just, just to me, always a student.
0: Antra Roll said he had. What he admired about him was his ability to sort of command the room, to be in charge, to not, you know, have a bunch of guys follow him and not be afraid to speak his mind. Would you agree with that sentiment?
1: He did speak his mind when he needed to, but I feel like he didn't need to as much. You just had a great supporting cast of people who, I feel like Clinton Portis was a big voice, like more in the huddle a lot too, and always saying something. Well, that's not surprising. <laughs> I just remember whenever I had a big time, like, Defensive end, he'll be in the huddle tomorrow. So you scared? I'm like, no, like, stop talking to me. Oh, he was messing with you. Just ask me questions like that. You scared of that? I'm like, no. Like, I'm the person who I don't talk much because I'm so like focused in on what I need to do that I'm not. I don't do all the talking.
0: Yeah, I got gotcha. you. So Clinton liked to talk.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clinton's gonna talk all the time.
0: You ever tell him to quiet down? I was just him. I mean, I it was entertaining, <laughs> but he ain't gonna talk to me. <laughs> So that's who you listen to, Portis. He was always near me in the huddle, so he would always say something. You and Ed like to stay out, but everyone to a man says he just had this knack for getting along with everybody and being a leader. Was he that guy?
1: Yeah, and yeah, but Ed, I feel like somebody who, he spoke up, he took on the leadership, um, like when those guys blazing on them left. He just knew how to be a leader, and he also could lead by example, too. So he didn't always have to say something, sometimes he'd go out there and you see by his drive, his work ethic, like, and so then when he did speak, it really commanded a lot of people's attention.
0: In two years, you lost one game, right? Yeah. You, does that Washington game still sit in your craw? Um, it did until we were able to have revenge. <laughs> oh, right, 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 yeah. The, the, what were those two nights? Everyone talks about, a lot, you know, Florida State, whatever, but I remember those those back-to-back night games in the Orange Bowls, Washington and Syracuse, where you ran through both of them. Was that, was that sweet revenge, especially for Washington?
1: Um yeah, especially for Washington, because Washington was a game where they jumped out on us and I felt like we were fighting our way back and we five it was like a five point game but and we just ran out of time. We didn't have en- enough time like as we were starting to make momentum to come back and just ran short of time and that was a game that kept us out of the national championship, you know, the year before, because we beat Florida State. But somehow it put them in the national championship over Oklahoma. And the only time we'd cheer cheered for Florida State was that year because we beat Florida in the Sugar Bowl. In the Florida State would it be Oklahoma, we would share the national championship with the men, but they couldn't even score a touchdown.
0: <laughs> that, is, that is true. So I don't think you gave up a sack in two years. And I think, was it the junior or senior year when you shut down Freeney, or both? Uh, senior year.
1: He was injured my junior year.
0: He was injured. All right. So was he the toughest guy you went up against? Who was the toughest guy?
1: My junior year, um, it was Jamal Reynolds from Florida State. Yep, he was a big, you know, big time player who
0: got a lot of sex
1: as well. It was against our Bible. This is my first year really playing, so I'm like kind of under the radar for a little bit, for the most part. Um, I knew I didn't really have much to lose. It's more because you don't really know me yet, you know what I'm saying? But I know if I did good, then it would help, like you know, get people's attention. So that, that game was pretty much a breakout game for me, myself, Jeremy Shockey, and uh, Ken Dorsey.
0: So you had never played in an environment like that before?
1: No, that was my first time in an environment like that where – and it was super hot. I remember, like, having to get stretched out on the sideline, super hot. No. And, you know, the year before, it was away in Florida State, and we didn't go because we were shirted. So I never was in that environment alive until I had to play in it. <laughs> what
0: would you think? When you first got out into the field that day and you go out there, what are you thinking? Well, all week long, we had to hear, like, the little,
1: whoa, all week long was that got on my nerves. Um – but when you just looked around, you just kind of gave me flashbacks of what I used to watch on TV of Florida State and Miami and it being a big thing, and it was just time to go. It just, I just went into my whole focus mode.
0: And then uh, what was that night like? Because that was a day game. So was, were you had enough enthusiasm to go out and celebrate, or were you wiped out? I wiped out after that game.
1: I remember going to breakfast the next morning with my mom and, and, and family who all was in town, and I remember them having the newspaper, and they, they talked about Shocky Cor- Dorsey and myself. Um, basically having breakout games. I remember that specifically. So, um, yeah, I didn't go anywhere that night.
0: I, mean, I think Dorsey might have spent the night in the hospital. <laughs> From dehydration or something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was
1: really hot that day. I remember it being extremely hot.
0: Were you watching when they when they went for the uh, game-winning field goal? Oh, Were you watching? Absolutely, yeah. And then what do you remember next? That we
1: became now part of history with the wild left and right type of thing. Like,
0: yeah. Stories that you kept hearing about.
1: We're now one of those teams that have experienced it to win the game. So it was – and it was just a
0: very close game. So 2001, Nebraska have any chance? None dog. We made that clear every time we seen them. <laughs> you know, we had to keep going to, like,
1: Disneyland. We was at Jay Leno show. We was at this little club one, t- one night, and we ended up having a microphone. And, <laughs> and we were saying stuff on the microphone, and they were like, no, you can't say that, guys. I'm like, Why not?
0: But you did. Yeah, we did. You guys felt you were that much better.
1: Yeah, we felt like we definitely felt like we were that much better.
0: <laughs> well, showed it did. <laughs> <laughs> now here again, I learned some stuff from from doing some. You finished eighth in the Heisman that year. Yeah, y'all need to start
1: talking about stuff like this more because I feel like y'all starting to diminish the things that I've done and almost act like it didn't exist. Because I have heard you say early, like I heard you never gave a sack. No, I haven't. And like they keep saying at the school, I'm glad somebody like Coach Mario's there too because the last coach that was there. They're like they're saying you never get upset, like if it's a myth. And it's like if, if it's not true, somebody would have been came up and said, Oh, I gotta sack on him or something like that. It's like we need to keep that going because for some reason it's like melting away. No, no,
0: no. The sack thing I knew about the Heisman, I did not know. And I think it's one of the most impressive things about your career. Offensive lineman finishing eighth in the Heisman.
1: Yeah, I finished eighth. And I didn't like I looked at it differently. Like, then when I remember um our PR guy told me that, and I was like, Well, I didn't win, so like I didn't even look at it like that at the time. I was like, how are you gonna tell me I finished eighth? Like, <laughs> what does that mean? Like, but to be later on, I realized just to even be in the top ten or being the talks as off in
0: the lineman was a great accomplishment. I'm with you on that. That's why I brought it up because I think that's fantastic. Uh so you mentioned Mario, he was what a GA for your redshirt year and your junior year? He was. So what do you remember about him? So it was him and Art together? Uh-huh. He was there the whole time I was there. That's a tandem right there. So Mario was one who took the time when I had
1: big opponents. You know, I had all of us. But Mario would take the time with me when I had like a Dwight Franny or when I had a Jamal Reynolds or Alex Brown. And we would sit there after the team meetings or whatever, you know, the night before the game. And he would, we would sit there and just go over more film. And I really would sit there and try to figure out like, what is this person doing that makes him like an all-star? Is it the offensive lineman? Is, it, is he really just good? Like, I would just break down all those things and see what they would like to do. I don't think a lot of those kids do that like that anymore. They learn how to watch film. Because I really sat there with him and we watched it and I tried to figure out what is going on. Like, is it the, the offensive lineman taking a bad step or is he, like, what's the, the problem? So I can figure out how to, you know, solve it. And we would sit there afterwards, even, even during practice that week. I would just sit and just keep watching film with this person and just focus in and just make sure I had a big game
0: especially against these big guys. How helpful was he to you in terms of learning how to watch film?
1: You know, he's a former of offensive lineman as well. So he was showing me what to look for. This legs back, They had to take this amount of steps first before they can do an inside move. Like, all those type of things was very important to me on studying my opponents, especially the guys who were really great pass rushers and things like that. So who played a big role.
0: What was his personality like? Everyone that sees him today just sees an intense, grinding, hardworking, passionate guy. Was he the same way back then? Yeah, but his role was different
1: because he was a GA. So I don't feel like he was as vocal, you know, as he as he moved up in positions. But when it came to like me, even Vernon Carey, I remember um I was walking around there and he was trying to put us like on his oatmeal diet with like a horrible egg. And I was like, I'm not eating this like every day for breakfast. Like, you know what I'm saying? But he was he already in his mind had a vision of like if I can get these guys to start getting on these type of meal plans. Back then I wasn't thinking about no meal plan, but he was he was trying to affect our diets and everything too to make us even better where we were young. We weren't really thinking about. Him. I was trying to gain weight, so I was like, "I'm not going to be on the
0: And what about your O line coach, Mr. Kehoe, who's a who's a cane through and through? What did you like most about him?
1: <laughs> His intensity,
0: and he's he just
1: able to get along. <laughs> he's he's a character. He was funny. He was definitely just a funny. One of the funnier coaches I've ever had. He made playing offensive line fun.
0: He's definitely a character. There's no doubt about that. When you think of great football and baseball, you think about the you. When you get hurt in a car, truck, or motorcycle wreck, you need to think Lobovic Law Group. At Lobovic Law Group, you come first. We work to get you all the money you are entitled to. Injured? You need to call or click Lobovic. Lobovic Law Group, the exclusive sponsor of the Miami Hurricanes. And proud sponsor of all things you go you! So, you glad it worked out the way it did? You glad Iowa had a coaching team? You ever think about what happened if they didn't let go of Hayden Fry or he hadn't stepped down? I, I I do all the
1: time, like that. I would have never been here. And I wonder how life would have turned out, like how things would have went.
0: I would have never met the
1: people I know now.
0: Yeah. You never would have played tennis with the Williams sisters, right?
1: Right. Because I, would, I would probably would have never lived in Florida. How'd that come to be? Um, me and Vernon was in LA doing something for ESPN. I think ESPN, the magazine, wanted something to do with ESPN. And um, Vernon Carey, you and Vernon and Carey were out there? Yeah, it's like around 2005 or 2006, 2005 maybe. The, some of the staff members was like, hey, you guys wanna go out, we're going to this place called LAX. And we were like, sure, we ain't doing nothing. And we went and they um, we had a section, we had a section next to actress named Megan Good. We seen her and then like, I'm gonna say like 30 minutes later, Venus and Serena came in and they joined her at her table it was right next to ours. And that's when I first met them. I told Vern, i was like, just don't even say nothing. Just act like you don't see them. <laughs> and we kind of did. Like, we seen them, we're like, oh, yeah, look. And then we just kind of act like we didn't. They ended up coming over and, like, introducing themselves. And we met them, and then we just, like, you know, playing cool. And I just remember us leaving, and one of the ladies from ESPN goes up to Venus is like, said something like, I was asked for her number or something like that. And I was like, what? And then Venus said, Oh, well, why did you come over here? Then if he, like, if he wanted to, why did he come over himself? It was something like that and then the lady just didn't know how to respond and the Venus kind of pulled off but then what's funny is two weeks after LA I ran into her in Miami at club bed I think it was and then we were like what is the odds of running to you like never seen you before in person and then two weeks later I run into you in Miami so it's like hey like you know what I'm saying and then I'm gonna say like a week or so later I ran into her at mansion and she's like okay she's like I'm, I am think she had like a wrist injury or something She like I have some downtime. she's like so i'm hanging out a little bit she says we keep being in the same places so we might as well like hang out together so let's exchange numbers so she's so like it must be meant to be because i keep running to you so we share your numbers then and then we got cool she ended up decorating her company she has a company called v-star and i ended up decorating my house along with my mom and stuff and then you know built a whole friendship and then started playing tennis because of them and has have something called the Williams Invitation that we've done for like 10 years. And then we missed two years because of COVID. But I think we're bringing it back this April. Well, April t- uh, 2023.
0: You play against Serena too? Or just Venus?
1: Well, I played against both of them. I was supposed to get lessons from Serena and it just turned into us playing against each other. Doubles. But Venus actually gave me like real legit
0: lessons. Like, So you good? Like, can you play? Yeah, I know to play. If you get that serve going at that height, that's pretty, I, mean, I bet you that's pretty nasty. That's, that's one of my
1: strengths is my serve. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what's does the, we, we appeared on America's Got Talent?
1: I did. Um, we were in the semifinals of America's Got Talent. And then each judge gets a wild card selection. They get to pick one act from the whole season to vote, pick them as a wild card. Then America has to vote them into the finals. Simon picked us, the NFL choir, as his wild card, but we didn't get enough votes in time. And that five-minute window of vote now. We didn't get enough votes, so somebody else went back and went to the finals.
0: How'd you even get down that path?
1: There is a legit NFL choir. They have an NFL gospel event every year for, during Super Bowl. And the lady who started it is friends with my mom. So back in like 2007, she reached out to my mom and asked if I could be a part. And I have been a part on and off either singing in the choir or being a presenter. Even, in, even the year I won the Super Bowl, I was a presenter with Sherry Shepard and then we got into Ray Lewis. So I've always been There, you know, helping out. And then when it came time for this, well, even before that, there COVID, we did other things for the National Cancer Society. And then they seen um, some of the guys singing at the Pro Bowl and then reached out. And I mentioned, you know, America's Got Talent. And then uh, she came back, the lady who started it, she came back and asked the guys would they be willing to do it. And everybody kind of said, yeah, why not? And so we did it. Nerve wracking? No, actually, it wasn't too bad. It was a lot of practice, though. That wasn't too bad. That wasn't bad at all. For,
0: For me, it wasn't. So what keeps you busy these days? Podcasts?
1: Uh, well, I have two podcasts, so that helps keep me busy. I have a company called Let's Chat, which we do real-time language translation, and we have to do about 104 languages. NFL is one of our clients. We translate their game pass. They use like five of our languages. We're based off your device setting, not your IP address or anything like that. So whatever you set your phone or your laptop for the device language, it'll automatically appear in that because we just add like a plug-in into the system, and then it appears that way. So... Or like foreign exchange students or whoever their parents, how did you
0: make your way into that?
1: Just being in the right place at the right time. Um, I was doing a brand partnership with Uber, it came time for them to um, introduce Uber Excel to South Florida. And I was the person who, back then, I had the, the picture. like they had me getting in and out of the Ubers and taking the pictures. And I always just realized, and part of the payment they paid me was through Uber Cash, too, so I could use Uber, you know, Uber rides and stuff. And what I would notice sometimes, too, is you know, everybody doesn't speak, you know, the same language. So sometimes rides was getting canceled and things like that. So I need something to break the language barrier. And then 2017, a hurricane is coming here, September 2017. So i leave and not go to L.A. and avoid the hurricane, but I also was going out there anyway for a friend's birthday, who has the same birthday as me. She was turning 50. While I'm out there, Colin, um, Flo rider's nephew, he went to the University of Miami as well. Oh, Yeah. His uncle had shot a music video at these guys' parents' house, and one of the guys was there, and they explained to him what they had going on, as far as um, what they created. And he just happened to know I was in L.A. at the time, too, so he wanted to do something outside of his uncle. So he reached out to me and said, I'm going to see if B-Mac is interested, and I met up with the guys, and I was very interested because I was already having this issue with Uber, so in my mind I was like, we need to get this on Uber. So I understood it, and they gave me a presentation, and I just joined back in 2017 and became a partner with them as well. And then last year, last November, we did a partnership with Comcast. Then the announcement, the press release came out top of this year in February. We were in a three-month accelerator program through Comcast, and they basically taught us how to get with you know companies and how to close deals and have those conversations. As you know, Comcast owns like Xfinity and Telemundo and WWE and NASCAR and like all these other companies, a lot of the companies under Comcast. So we got chances to have meetings you know, with them. We're looking to close some situations uh, still. And then another thing is I said, we're on the website. Jose, he went to University of Miami, he's an alumni. He used to be the COO of McDonald's. I just happened to reach out to him. I knew he stepped down and had retired from that position. So I just reached out to him for a connection at McDonald's, see if we can try to get over, get over there in at McDonald's and do some translation for them. And lo and behold, Jose came out of retirement, and he is now the current CEO of Bojangles. So we've done some work for Bojangles as well and McDonald's. So, yeah, now we're looking to close another big sport sporting um, deal as well.
0: That's awesome. The issue that, you, I guess, from the music background through Flow Rider's nephew who played football at Miami's walk-on, that conversation was based on what? They were also looking at translating stuff for what? For, on behalf of the music? or The about- two guys who
1: created it needed like a vehicle for it, like a person to help them get it out there. They didn't have any context to get it out there. So they were talking to Colin, hoping he would tell Flo, and Flo would be interested. But Colin was like, I want to do something without him. With ah. here, so let me reach out to B-Mac. And what's funny is our partnership with Comcast through, was kind of through me. There's a guy who I worked out with back in 2011. He was working for Comcast, and they were, I allowed them to use Let's Chat email that had my name in it. And they were reaching out to people and he responded because we worked out together at Pete Bomberito and we took a picture together. So he sent all the information over and he was the one who led us into the whole Comcast situation and getting an accelerator program. And um, it was because we knew each other. We had worked out together. So have you
0: spoken to Mario in the time he's been here?
1: Oh yeah. We exchanged numbers. I went, um, he had his press conference. I went down there, I'm going to say Bob and Joaquin was there as well as far as offensive line.
0: Um, But we went to definitely went there to support what did you think, if you have, about uh, the uh, the wide receiver this year who was from Lackawanna? Is it like Colbert or something like that, right? Kobe Young. Kobe Young, Young right. 6'4, 6'5, flew under the radar, was at Lackawanna with Coach Duda. And then he actually was only a one year qualifier, but no one knew it. So he kind of flew under the radar. And then through Coach Kehoe a long time ago, Coach Duda at Lackawanna had met Mario. And he's like, Look, I got a place for you. And that's how that all came down. Oh,
1: okay. You know, we've had another guy, too. I think another offensive lineman's been here from Lackawanna, too. I don't remember his name.
0: One of our strength coaches from Lackawanna. Oh, really? Coach Eaton.
1: Okay, I got to talk to him. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, get on down there and say what's up. That's that's a small word. Like, there's becoming like a little thing. right? <laughs> yeah. You wanted me to refresh some things, and I'm bringing some stuff to the table. Right. All right, B-Mac, appreciate it. Be well. Go do that podcast that you got to do. Keep this media thing rolling. Appreciate you coming on behind to you. Thanks for having me. Behind the U with Brian McKinney, brought to you in part by Fit Gyms. Train together, win together. Introducing UFit Gyms, the official fitness center for the Miami Hurricanes. Are you ready to join? All it takes is $1 down. Let's go, Canes. Brian McKinney, thank you for being on the Behind the U podcast.